Before we get started this week, we want to acknowledge that language around differences in sexual development is still evolving. As always, here at the Incubator, we strive to use language that is inclusive and respectful. Thank you. This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Friday. Finally, Friday. We're coming to an end. We're doing thermal regulation today. We finished endocrinology yesterday. Daphne, how's it going? It's good, except, you know, I'm always like, oh, thermoregulation, these questions should be easy. This is this is easy. They're but easy. sometimes the definitions are confusing. No, no, that's going to be easy. <laughs> um, all right, start us off then. You ask me this question. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, no, I ask you. <laughs> it was hiding. It's up here. Question 13. Uh, an infant is born at 28 weeks gestation. After observation for 24 hours, the baby's transition from a radiant warmer to an isolate to minimize heat loss. All of the following provide an explanation for this infant's uh, risk for heat loss, except A, decreased epidermal and dermal thickness, B, de decreased subcutaneous fat, C, decreased surface area to body weight ratio, D, immature nervous system. Okay. Um Decreased epidermal and dermal thickness is correct. Decreased subcutaneous fat is correct. Decreased surface area to body weight ratio, I think, is incorrect. It's actually the opposite. They have increased surface area to body weight ratio. I would pick C. And then immature nervous system, sure. <laughs> yep, I'll, I'll great. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I think I think this, this question was easy because the other answers were like things we know about premature babies, mm -hmm. that they have the decreased... Uh, epidermal dermal thickness they have decreased subcutaneous fat and yes they have immature nervous systems obviously um and they have a decreased response uh to to cooling or being cooled um and that they have increased surface area to body weight ratio so i think even if you didn't know that you could have figured this answer out um but it's actually um their surface area to body weight ratio is almost three times greater than the adult ratio um, which puts them at uh, more risk for evaporative losses. Okay, let's keep going then. Question 14. A late preterm infant becomes hypothermic when placed on a cold blanket. Of the following, which type of heat loss best explains this infant's hypothermia? Choice A, conductive. Choice B, convective. Choice C, evaporative. Choice D, radiant. Okay, I don't know why I have trouble with conductive and convective. I was going to pick convective first for this. And then I was like, you know what? I have a convection oven and nothing touches the food. The heating elements do not touch the food in the convection oven. Go around and around. So, and things that conduce stuff like energy or heat, they have to be touching them. So, A, conductive. Okay, I have a little picture that I've saved. Oh. Online searches. I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to see if that if that actually um, helps you because. But you'll describe not, it to us. Yes, I will describe it. But I want you to see it because before I get into 
conductive is the correct answer. So to me, there are four types of ways that a baby could lose heat. Radiation, meaning that the baby radiates the heat away, just like a radiant warmer would, except the baby doing it. You have evaporation, meaning the baby has like some layer of a thing on the skin that protects from heat loss, but that's just evaporating like fluid. That's why we dry the babies after birth. <clears throat> conduction, meaning the baby is touching, like you said, like a conduction okay. oven where the baby is touching something um, that has a different temperature. And then convection, which is basically just uh, air just flowing on over the baby, uh, carrying away that okay. heat. So... Conductive heat loss indicates the transfer of heat from an neonate to a contacting solid object. Uh, the infant will become cold if she's placed on a cold blanket or mattress because of conductive heat loss. And then we talked about the four types of heat loss. So let's give some example. Conductive, we said cold blankets or mattress. Convective would be cool air currents. So that's why you kind of have to leave those, um, those, those windows uh, up when you're resuscitating a baby so that you have less convective heat loss. Evaporative, so um, like a prematurity leading to immature stratum corneum, poor epidermal barrier, um, and so uh, easier way for, for heat to evaporate through the baby's skin. And then radiant, we talked about incubator walls preventing uh, heat loss. So yeah, good job. I'm not going to go into too much more detail. We'll talk more about that. Well, we'll be able to practice again here. Uh, question 28. A neonatal nurse is instructing new parents of a baby born at 24 weeks gestation about the preferred use of the portholes during routine care. What type of neonatal heat loss is decreased by use of the portholes during care times? Is it A, condensation, B, conductive, C, convective, D, evaporative, or E, radiant? So then that makes sense, right? So the reason we're using portholes and the reason we're not opening the entire side of the isolate is to prevent a draft from crossing through the isolate and leading to uh, convective he heating loss. Uh, so my answer is C, convective. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, I think this question could actually be confusing because if you open the portholes, air gets out and humidity gets out. And so I think that could be confusing. But the question is, use the portholes instead of opening the whole isolette. That's right. Um, and so it's really uh, to reduce these convective heat loss, uh, which is, like you said, like air currents um, uh, moving the warmed air out of the isolette. Yeah, so, and you could think, and you could think, could the baby radiate the heat away as well? But to me, it's the same idea as the, as the windows on the resuscitation table, right? The reason yeah. they're up is so that the baby is under, is protected from any draft uh, crossing right. over. Yeah. Okay, question 29. Which of the following is an accurate definition of thermal neutral zone in a newborn? Environmental temperature between 36.5 and 37.5 degrees Celsius. Choice B, environmental temperature between 36.5 and 37.5 Celsius with 60 to 70% humidity. Choice C, environmental temperatures in which the newborn has minimal metabolic demands in the form of oxygen consumption and maintains a temperature in the normal range. Choice D, environmental temperature range in which the newborn can maintain a body temperature between 36.5 and 37.5 degrees Celsius. And choice E, newborn body temperature between 36.5 and 
37.5 degrees Celsius in which the infant's metabolic activity is most efficient. Yeah, I think this is kind of tricky also because you're like, well, this is the temperature where we keep babies. This must be the right answer. But I think it's the temperature we keep babies because of this right answer. So um, so it's, I mean, C, uh, thermoneutral, meaning minimal metabolic demands. That's exactly right. I think it, to me, the two choices that were confusing in this question were, or the two choices that were competing were choice C, which you just mentioned, and choice mm -hmm. E, which mm -hmm. is newborn body temperature between 36.5, 37.5. Mm -hmm. Like you said, that's the range in which the infant's metabolic activity is most efficient. And it's very tricky because it kind of sounds right, mm -hmm. but that's not the goal. The goal is to minimize mm -hmm. metabolic activity yeah, and metabolic together. demands. You don't want it to be high demanding, but done in a very efficient way, right? So mm -hmm. that's where it's it's almost like it's a, it's almost semantic, but it's it's an important difference. So the thermo neutral zone is the environmental temperature that allows a baby to have minimal, again, the word is minimal metabolic demands and maintain a normal body temperature. <clears throat> the concept of a thermo neutral zone or environment is important when caring for newborns, particularly those that are preterm. Humans are homeothermic, which means that they have an ability to maintain their temperature within a very narrow range, in which in this, in this case, 36.5 to 37.5 degrees Celsius, over a, over a wide range of environmental temperature. However, outside a certain range of environmental temperatures, the body has to increase its metabolic rate to produce energy to maintain this narrow range of body temperatures. The thermoneutral zone is influenced by birth weight, postnatal age, and is considerably higher in preterm infants with com compared with term infants. Humidity influences the ability of the body to retain heat, especially in preterm infants. If the environmental temperature is lower than the thermoneutral the thermo thermoneutral zone, the infant's metabolic demand increase. For severe temperature abnormalities, the metabolic activities may become exhausted, leading to an increase in morbidity and mortality. Although metabolic activities are most efficient in the normal body temperature range, this is not the definition of thermoneutral zone, which is what we discussed earlier. An important implication of this concept is that an infant may have a normal temperature range for some time, even though the infant is placed outside the thermoneutral environment. And this period of euthermia can vary depending on the infant's metabolic resources and the extremes of temperature. However, after some time, just like in babies who uh, are compensating for uh, respiratory distress, a persistent abnormal thermoneutral environment would lead to a metabolic stress on the infant, leading to an increase in oxygen consumption, shifting the energy away from growth. Good job. Okay. Last question. Let's go. Uh, this is question 33. An infant was just delivered at 34 weeks gestation and is being admitted to the NICU. The admission temp was 38 degrees Celsius. The neonatology fellow discusses with the team the importance of avoiding hypothermia in the newborn. Which of the following statements about hypothermia in the newborn is false? A, hypothermia can lead to increased mortality. B, hypothermia can lead to increased risk for several comorbidities. C, maintaining normothermia is an integral part of newborn life support algorithms. D, since the use of increased environmental temperature was introduced in the delivery room, hypothermia in newborn infants is extremely rare. E, there are several techniques to maintain normothermia in newborn infants. Okay, so which one is false? Hypothermia can lead to increased mortality. Yes, that is correct. I think one degree centigrade of hypothermia leads to an increase in mortality by like 10% or something. So definitely, yes. Hypothermia can lead to an increased risk for several comorbidities. That is true too. 
maintaining normothermia is an integral part of newborn life support algorithm. Yes. Choice D says, since the use of increased environmental temperature was introduced in the delivery room, hypothermia in newborn infants is extremely rare. Uh-huh. <laughs> we wish. Uh, and choice E, what it's, where was choice E? There are several techniques to maintain normothermia. Sure. Yeah, choice D is overtly wrong. Uh, so, yeah, that's. Yeah. So I think this was a learning question, um, but that uh, obviously we're still not very good at um avoiding hypothermia. Maybe your units are very good at avoiding hypothermia. That would be great. Um, or at least it's something that requires active... A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. We're not yeah. passively getting babies to maintain normal thermia by doing... Just lucking out. Right. Yeah. Because maintaining a newborn's temperature in a desired range can be challenging and continues to be a worldwide problem. Um, but it is an integral part of our newborn resuscitation. Um, several studies have shown the effectiveness of thermoregulatory techniques, um, such as skin to skin contact, putting on a hat, plastic coverings, drying and wrapping, and of course, use of the radiant warmers and for our babies, um, using the thermal mattresses, um, Preventing hypothermia is of utmost importance since a low body temperature is associated with a number of things, including like you just mentioned, increased metabolic demand, increased oxygen utilization. Um, but some of the other comorbidities are hypoglycemia, respiratory distress, intraventricular hemorrhage, coagulation abnormalities, and some studies suggest increased mortality. So We did it. We did it. Do you know, you want to mention, I realize now that since Monday, we've not been uh, issuing, we, we made a clarification on one of our podcasts in the nephrology section. Oh, so, yes. Do you want to mention you want to mention that for the audience so that nobody yeah, is surprised? Yeah, but now I have to remember. <laughs> well, I can, I, can, I can maybe help. I think I remember. Uh, yeah, because I, I don't have the... Uh, I, I think it was episode 53. That's in right. In which we said that multi-cystic... <clears throat> And the multi-cystic kidney was the most common cause of a renal mass in a newborn. And I believe that after further uh, research uh, and the help of, a, of an audience member, his name is Pedro Urday, um, we had to clarify that the, the most common cause of a mass, of an abdominal mass in a newborn is hydronephrosis. So um, I think we edited the podcast mm -hmm. to remove that sentence so that it wouldn't lead to confusion. But we just wanted to clarify that on the air as well so that um, full disclosure and thank our audience member for number one, paying attention mm -hmm. and sending us an email. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is the clarification we wanted to make. Do we know who's on the podcast this Sunday, Daphna? Probably this not. Sunday is Sue. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're talking to Sue Ludwig who um, is a fascinating individual. She comes to, she's a therapist and she talks to us about her new book, Tiny Humans, Big Lessons. She has a fascinating story, a fascinating perspective on life and work. Um, and her book is doing phenomenally well. Like the pre-orders are pretty uh, impressive. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy uh, this episode. And uh, yeah, keep on studying people. It's coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're getting there. That's right. All right. All right. See you. See you on Sunday. Okay. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. 
You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.